I'm just really bad at clapping. <laughs> Welcome to the show. This is Double Issue Show with me, Daniel Poole. And I'm Quentin Pongratz. This week, we're bringing you resolutions to our cliffhanger stories from a couple weeks back. Yep, the long-awaited conclusions. Everyone was left on the edge of their seats, and here we are. Man, it's got to be uncomfortable. What uh, research did you do this last week in preparation? Well, I don't know if I did anything in preparation, but I do have to tell you about fantasy sports. by sam bosma it's right now three volumes it's about this world that is filled with wizards and they challenge each other through different sports (laughs) so it's just fantasy and sports (laughs) and i got three volumes from the library and it's setting it up like the fourth volume is the last but it was really good it reminded me of steven universe a bit that kind of style of absurdity occasionally oh gotcha a little lighter maybe or yeah it touches on some heavier stuff but it's real fun cool and i also read on the other side of things some moon knight which is (laughs) all darkness i was gonna say that that puts the meter right into the red of (laughs) cheery it was really fun the ones i was reading they take on a tv show kind of format they're more episodic So each one kind of starts off with a cold open before the title. It just feels very much like a TV show. And that was real neat. Hmm. Cool. What have you been getting into? The newest season of Voltron on Netflix landed. And <laughs> I've been watching a lot of that. Oh, man. For a kid's show? Like a show you could put on and feel reasonably safe with around children? They get into some stuff. I don't know. There's political intrigue there's assassination attempts and rebels and talks about like who your enemies are oh oh, there's so much good stuff in it and of course feelings and pretty robots i really need to check that out yeah rewatching the original voltron because i've got it on dvd that show was rough there was a lot of problems watching the new one like the first couple of episodes i was like "Ah, i don't know if i'm gonna keep up with this it just felt a little more kids show-esque but i got over the hump of like the first like two or three episodes and it really comes into its own and it just takes off from there Hmm. the story gets real deep and the characters have a lot more layers to them but on the other side of things i've also been playing into the breach which is also a game about giant robots i love what they do with storytelling through sort of passive things so instead of just telling you some straight story elements your mech pilots will say things during the battle Mm-hmm. And that informs who they are and what they're doing. And I just find that method of storytelling really interesting. Yeah. I wanted to pick that up, but I had to convince myself not to because I'm working my way through Dark Souls and I have other games that I've not touched that I just <laughs> don't buy into the breach yet. Wait for a sale or something. Yeah. The other thing, I did listen to some headline heroes. There are podcasts that we found online through some Facebook groups. And they kind of do some interesting things that are similar-ish to us. They're a little less serious. But they pick a headline 
that's hilarious and then write a character bio about that if they were a superhero from the headline yeah so it's pretty interesting the one i listened to had a sword wielding grandma which was excellent (laughs) all right on a dark souls podcast is over welcome to our dark souls podcast (laughs) yeah do you want to do the first story my story yeah yours is first i'm it's me okay (laughs) here we go an excerpt from the man with cups for hands continued by daniel j Poole. lonnie summers folded his hands he stiffened in his chair his features were gaunt hard aged but still handsome his deep tan mixed with the shadows of the coffee shop he was wearing street clothes but his size and posture betrayed his years of training after taking a sip of tea the amazing aquilin started again that was the last time any of us saw reggie one moment we were questioning michael chambers and the next we were getting sucked out of the courtroom he shook his head i mean sorcery right you can account for mutants gadgets and madmen but magic he turned to magic here not you but like magic powers it just always surprises you none of us knew cup hands was that powerful he just broke the glass floor of the station out from underneath us the footage from tribunal shows michael removing his power neutralizing cuffs then he touches the glass floor of the space station glass and steel give way to void it tears apart like wrapping paper here he is thrown into space the force of the escaping atmosphere the council is sucked out after him magic and aquilin tumbled over the table with a quick spell magic caught a bare structural beam using an ethereal rope Aquilin grasped onto his other hand. The immortal Reggie reached for them, but spun away at the last moment. His fingers brushed Aquilin's. I just, just barely missed. I can still feel his fingers skim across mine. Then he was gone, said the veteran hero. He wiped at the corner of his eye and took another sip of tea. He was right there. He just thinks he probably landed somewhere in the Atlantic. He was never seen again. Magic was able to secure the pair to the bottom of the council chambers. Their emergency oxygen fields ignited during the breach. There, they could watch Moonglow follow after Michael Chambers. The magician cut in here. Eva was the real hero that day. Lonnie and I really aren't much help in space. Moonglow, on the other hand, she was born for it. Eva Davidson was not sucked out of the chambers. She flew out in a burst of radiating pastel light. Her pale robes trailed behind her. In the light of the setting sun, she was a stark contrast in the inky void. Rainbow arcs of energy struck around Michael as he drifted away from the station. This would be her final victory. In an interview before her death, she described the fight. The video was shot in her Citadel retirement home, years after the incident. She is tired and has trouble using her hands. Her eyes were wide and alert. She said, Even after all these years... Behind a desk, your training never really leaves you. It was muscle memory. The moment Cup went through the floor, I leapt at him. It was all I could think about. That close to the moon, I felt ten feet tall. The camera refocused. There's a voice out of scene. And then her daughter, Malia, the Minotaur, Davidson, gives her a glass of water. Eva took it with both hands. Where was I again? She asked. Right, right. Cup hands. 
so I dive right after him. He flew like physics were broken. However, I felt like I could have taken on Isidore the Invincible himself right there. Here she sat up straighter. Eva swirled the water in her cup. She is distracted by a thought. Then she looks right into the camera. That's when they arrived. An arm in the dark of space closed line Moonglow. She spun out of control as ten cloaked Centauri raptors appeared out of the black. They dressed in traditional Centauri warrior battle suits. Oversized eyes, gravity fins, breathing apparatuses, and sharp claws were outlined by the lights of terrestrial cities below. Magic stopped the interview here for a moment. He was a large, imposing man. He wore a dark button-down, domino mask, and a pointed wizard's hat. No one seemed to recognize him. His cup had John Doe written on the side in black marker. I couldn't describe him before or after the time we sat down for the interview. I could remember his words. He said, They came out of nowhere. Pan's lost boys. Michonne's raptors. Aquilin corrects. Oh, right. I first met him when he still went by Pan. Anyway, Magic continues, I've never figured it out, if the Cup Crusader knew they would be there, at least not the way he resisted. Three of the raptors tried to subdue Michael Chambers. He threw punches that disabled their suits. Each jab made their battle suits flash and spark. One raptor deflected a blow from Michael. It hit his emergency oxygen field. It fizzled out, and he lost consciousness. One Centauri caught him square in the jaw. The other two collected him and shoved him inside a single-person escape pod. Bloggers have debated whether Michael Chambers knew they would arrive or not. Some believe the attack on Tribunal was a highly sophisticated plan that required expert timing. This theory is supported by the fact that AI did not detect the Raptor's approach possibly the application of Michael's powers breaking the system. Others argue Michael Chambers and Michonne made the plan for him to escape, but did not settle on the details. This was based on the fact that three different raptors had to wrestle the fugitive into the pod. Others, however, believe Michael thought that, with careful aiming, he could reasonably have struck the witch's cottage. In his state, he might have considered the prophecy to be more loosely defined as suicide. Michael Chambers has never divulged which theory was correct. This was the beginning of his empire with the Centauri. While seated on the terrace of his palace, he surveyed a blueprint for a proposed orphanage. The golden city of Midas suffered a high population of orphans at the time. Mr. Chambers had his assistant make a few notes and nodded to have it handed to an advisor. He studied me intently for a few moments. You must think I'm a monster, he stated. No. Just complicated. During this interview, Michael would try to lead me with questions. He would attempt to sabotage our talks. Michael held up his cup hands. He reached out to a nearby plant. It shriveled and turned to ash. I can't build anything. I can only destroy what I touch. I gestured to the city below. I would say you've built a lot. Michael shook his head. No. I've built nothing. This greatness was in humanity all along. I just broke away what was holding humanity back. We overthink our problems. Right and wrong are not subjective. 
It is cruel to allow injustice in this society. Some people, I said, would say that Michonne is a criminal. And some people call him a patriot, he replied. Above the garden, Centauri patrols littered the sky. Their uniforms shine in the light of the city. They effortlessly soared and dived. Moonglow corrected her spin in an instant. She bobbed and weaved away from her raptor assailant. From her hands, light rays scattered at the three Centauri putting Michael in the pod. They launched the ship and scrambled apart. Eva scorched the skies with crackling rainbow bolts. Two raptors caught her from behind. They landed blow after blow on the older woman. The largest of the Centauri, in a bright green suit, swooped at her. He stopped inches from her. His iris guards swirled open. Michonne, leader of the raptors, floated in front of her. His signature silver claw emblazoned on his chest. He delivered an uppercut that threw Moonglow backwards. Michonne gave orders to his subordinates. They caught Moonglow and held her between each other as the green Centauri punched her over and over again. Eva took hit after hit till she went limp in their arms. They released her to float in space. Magic has to take a moment in the story here to wipe his eyes. He says, We were so hopeless. Aquilin and I, we just couldn't do anything. Lonnie reaches across the table and gives Magic a reassuring shoulder squeeze. He says, We have our strengths. It's okay. We knew Eva's powers were strengthened the closer she was to the moon, but... Magic continues... We weren't ready for what happened next. Aquilin laughs. It's probably good we didn't try to help her. In the video interview of Eva, she chuckles when she reaches with this point in the story. Moonglow makes fists and holds up her frail arms. She says, It felt like a rocket-powered enema the moment the sun fell behind the earth. I thought I was on fire. Everything became fuzzy. It was like a plane was taking off in my chest. Those poor fools never saw it coming. Moonglow became a small star. Pale rainbows radiated off her in every direction. The skies on Earth lit up from Freetown to Salvador. She lobbed a column of power at the Centauri as they escaped. Two raptors evaporated. A third was cleaved in half. Eva dipped her head and erupted into a flash of energy. She caught one of the raptors by the arm, making a whipping motion she tore it free. Michonne turned to look only to catch a bolt directly to his face. The raptors disappeared into the blackness of space. Eva, however, continued to hurl bolts of power at them until she exhausted herself. In her autobiography, Waning, Good Night Moon, Eva Davison wrote, It was one of my greatest failures, but also one of my brightest. Michael Chambers is short with me about the incident. I really wouldn't know about that. You could ask Michonne. At that moment, a tall, dapper centauri with an eye patch touches down on the terrace and whispers something to Michael. Michael responds, yes, of course. Please excuse us, but we have matters of state to attend to. End of chapter. For now... So how about them them good good Centauri boys? The lost ones? Yeah.
the raptors. Is it because they're birds? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 I tried to go out of my way to make their battle armor have bird looks and be birdy look like. So I want to go off on a tangent here. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Dinosaurs as a whole. Cool. Yeah. In my opinion, at least. Birds, not cool. Okay. Okay. Now that we learn more and more and learn that birds are dinosaurs, I think it makes not birds cool, but dinosaurs less cool. I could be with that. Yeah. I mean, there's one thing where dinosaurs didn't quite exist in the same way that we think of them. Like, there was so much time in between groups of dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. That it wasn't. Time stuff. Yeah, there wasn't like Jurassic Park kind of stuff. Some of those were spread out by several thousand years. And they didn't exist at the same time. But yeah, so the raptors. Yeah. So they have cool space armor? Yeah. We talked about how they don't breathe in space. Mm -hmm. So they've got special suits for that. And I was imagining them with these sort of wing appendages on the back that help them navigate in space and Mm. use their own natural powers to help them speed around a little better. That's cool. And I think as just an extra bonus is maybe they help with re-entry into planets. And I guess emergency-wise, they can just go to sleep and crash. Yeah. I figure that's a, a common space superhero threat, is getting knocked out in space and not being able to re-enter an atmosphere correctly. Mm, yeah. So, unlike most space suit or, like, Iron Man suits or anything like that, they're more just about keeping them alive in in the threat of a bad experience rather than enhancing their own abilities. Yeah. And so their leader is Peter Pan. <laughs> That was an early name. Uh, I think that was a colloquial name they gave him. My thought was they are a contingent of the Centauris that show up with the royal family mm-hmm. that were supervillains on their planet. Or they were already criminals when they arrived with the good Centauri. And so they've been kind of in their own little isolation. But they helped Michael escape and set up his city of Midas. I guess like we could just segue right into talking about Midas. Yeah. You talked about Cuphand starting his own country in sort yeah. of a Doctor Doom-esque way. When I put that together with my idea about having the Centauri help him, I kind of imagined that they wanted his vision for a city, and they could take a city, they just didn't really know how to hold it or what to do with it after. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was a good start for that city. Oh, man. I'm just seeing, like, winged police forces oh. <laughs> enforcing Cuphand's vision of justice. Just There's, like, a purse snatching, and a winged police officer just comes down and just breaks the guy's head open and just, have a good day, ma'am, and flies back off. Or it just swoops them up and takes them away for Cuphand's to break. Oh. They have no prison. It seems like not a happy place. For criminals, I guess, at least. Yeah. And just hope that the line of criminal doesn't move to put you on the other side. <laughs> I like the idea of a group of criminals who are politically motivated becoming the ruling class of a criminal-free city. Yeah. I don't know. That shifting narrative of who is a criminal based on what power they hold or what position they hold is interesting. Yeah. And maybe there's some friction between cup hands and his crew yeah like he doesn't view them as favorably because of their past but deals with it to to get his goals i wanted to briefly bring up the immortal reggie 
because I completely forgot he was in the first half of the story. So as I was writing him, I went back and reread your story again. I was like, oh no, what should I do with Reggie? I just left him out. <laughs> so I decided he could be shot off towards Earth. He's immortal. He'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I never defined his powers beyond... Immortal. Immortality. And I guess you didn't define any either. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was really trying to work up more characterization of Aquilian and magic. And kind of forgot about Reggie. Oh, and Moonglow, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you want to talk about... Isidore? Yeah. I'm... Isidore? How, how do I say it? I wasn't really sure. I looked that name up on babynames.com. Okay. But it's Greek for Gift of Isis, the mythology or mythological god. Disc. Not the Islamic state? Yeah, it's not that one. It's the other one. So it's a Greek name that developed after they were invaded by the Egyptians for a while. And Isis in mythology was the goddess of sky and magic and a few other things. So I thought that'd be an interesting conqueror, like ancient conqueror, comparable to Alexander the Great or others of that time period. That was a superhero, supervillain. Okay. Yeah. How did it feel to wrap up my story? Oh, man. I really struggled with getting into the voice space. I don't know. I was trying to still keep with the documentary style. It was interesting, though, trying to wrap it up. He set up this really interesting sort of cerebral discussion, and then I sort of just made it a barroom fight. That's cool. Yeah. But so it was fun. I, yeah, and I, if I had wrapped it up, I wouldn't have even thought to bring in the those raptor things. Oh, man. After our world building, I was just itching to bring those in for anything. And then I was kind of still formulating what I was going to write about for this week after the world building episode. That's it. That's, I think, what I'm going to bring in. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I want to have them be a, more of a threat prior to this. So I think I might try to work them in as a more regular bad guy group. Before we get to our next story, we have our first sponsorship deal. People like us to sponsor us? Josh Freeman said he would give me $5, <laughs> and this is legally binding. <laughs> Josh Freeman has sponsored this episode of Double Issue, and he owes me $5 now. <laughs> Does he know that he sponsored us for $5? That's legally binding. I mean, it's right here in recording. Here's a real ad. Hello, everyone. This is Ed from Dwed, the clearly unscripted podcast. Are you looking for a new comedy podcast because you're bored or you don't know what to do? Well, we are the Ed. right people. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcast Teacher, Ed. wherever you find your pod. What? Yes? What are you doing? No, nothing. Ed, are you promoting a podcast without me? No, I'm talking to my mom. <laughs> But yeah, are you ready to give the exciting conclusion to my story? Yeah, I'll do that right now. Quadruple take. The cliffs of Faustini are a beautiful sight, but less so when you're falling to your death. Though it isn't the fall that kills any of us. The gravity doesn't let us hit the ground before we would die of asphyxiation or boiling inside our skins. Not sure what actually kills you, but I don't aim to find out. 
I usually nope out of there the second I feel the air rushing out of the pod. Sometimes I feel that call of the void and let a few more moments pass, teetering close to the edge of the abyss, getting closer than I ever should to the unknown moment where I won't be able to pull back. It hasn't happened yet, at least not to the version of me I'd call me. That's one of the bad endings, though, and one of the clearer ones, which is what scares me. The possibilities of all timelines swirl before me. The minor branches in front of me are the clearest and easiest to swap between. Did I pace to the right or to the left? I try out one, and then the next, and then go back to the first. That's not much more than a fidget of a leg in terms of effort. Sometimes that kind of stuff happens without me really noticing. To see further, I have to start committing to things. Or, there's this trick where for a split second, I can think about committing to an action and get a clear picture of what it could be. So I do what I always do first. I think about doing nothing. It's easy to do with my indecisiveness. My mom says she first noticed these powers when I spent 30 minutes trying to decide which baseball cap to get at the store. She says the only reason it took 30 minutes was because she demanded I pick one right then or end up with nothing. Later, she noticed the cap on my head switching between several different ones I had been considering. If my powers weren't limited to 30 minutes, I'm pretty sure that cap would still be shifting. The good thing about seeing what happens when I do nothing is the branches aren't so numerous. I'm not adding as many variables into the system. Typically, Paladin keeps trying to scheme a way for this to end well, probing every possible contingency she can, seeing if there's something that hasn't been accounted for yet in her calculations. Split keeps splitting before remembering she needs to conserve oxygen and rejoins herself. Ichival sits. Well, he assumes the position I'm going to call sitting. I'm not sure if he's trying to meditate a way out of this, or if he's all phone home with his telepathy or what. But if I do nothing, he seems to just stay there. Dr. Drake paces with Heyday, whispering in his ear. I assume the words are meant to calm him. Doesn't seem to be working, though. Everyone maintains isolation as the mood worsens, before it all comes to a head. We have to determine who the robot is. Paladin breaks the silence. Perhaps if we get rid of them, this all just opens back up. How? Split asks. We can't just start cutting people open to see their insides. Not a bad idea. I said we can't do that. Why not? It would determine the culprit, and then we could at least get comms on and find out what this portal is doing before we all die. Besides, if we get it wrong and chop into the real deal, this sneaky time traveler can just make it have not happened. Right, Double Take? I take a step towards them. Well, it will have still happened in one timeline. You can't worry about what's happened in every timeline. I'm sure we're dead or not born in most of them. I guess, I reply. So you're going to volunteer to get chopped open first, I presume? Split stepped up towards Paladin. Paladin didn't look away from Split's confrontation. If that will make you feel better. Fine, let's do this. Split splits away from herself and grabs Paladin by the arms and starts to push up against the wall. Paladin resists and ends up knocking a split backwards. She skids across the floor, and as she gets back up, her efforts redouble and two more splits charge the armored woman. Stop! We won't have enough oxygen if we're... Oh, no. Dr. Drake's breathing quickens, and everyone turns to look at his transformation. His hands morph into claws. The fingernails expand past the bounds of his flesh as they grow into points, and the ripped flesh they leave behind reveal not blood, but the blue scales that were there all along, lurking and waiting. 
His skin ripples as it can no longer contain the power underneath. Fissures follow the ripples and widen to reveal more scales. The scales multiply seemingly without bound. He's growing out of his body and into another. His head is the worst of it. I wish I had never been in the situation to even see the possibility of it happening. It reminds me of those robbers that use pantyhose instead of proper masks. Everything gets all squashed up, but here, instead of the face being the smashed up bit inside, it's the stretched pantyhose. Then the pantyhose breaks because their head starts growing. The metaphor falls apart after a bit, just like his face. How does he even go back to his normal body after that? Is it months of him in a cast while it all regrows and recovers? Or is it just one of those magic superhero things, like that guy whose pants never fully rip whenever he turns all big? I guess doing nothing is out of the picture. I try my best to keep the dragon in the bottle. I think about looking for more vials, but my panic about what he would become makes him panic and become. But if I could keep some spark from lighting the fuse, perhaps it would create enough time for some solution to present itself. It's a bit more nebulous, and the branches to do so aren't as clear as a line as doing nothing. But eventually, I make my way to seeing a path where the dragon doesn't explode out of the doctor's skin. That's when I remember the portal. One life-threatening problem at a time, I guess. With Dr. Drake going wild on everyone, the portal didn't have time to do its thing. Calm him down a bit, and the portal widened. So what comes out of the portal other than me? I have to do a double take. I step out of the portal. Then Split follows, then a paladin not in her armor. Finally, a Dr. Drake emerges before the swirling spot behind them vanishes into itself. No copies of Ichival or Heyday, though. You said they would have suffocated by now, the other me says. Well, it shouldn't be long now. You afraid you can't hold your own against them? The other paladin cracks her knuckles. If we can't handle this, then the whole plan is doomed. The other split pushes in front of the others. Ten versions of herself charge from her. I reflexively jump back. What is it? Paladin asks me. The mix of confusion and fear I felt must have been showing on my face. The portal. Got some insight now? Ichibal asks. It's us. What do you mean it's us? Split wanders over. The people that came out of the portal were us. Except they were coming to kill us. Well, now that we're ready, does it go any better? Good point. It takes a few attempts to get back on a track without Dr. Drake berserking on everyone. But I get back to them emerging from the portal, and Paladin is ready. She rushes the first figure that comes through and smashes them against the side of the room. She slams her own head into the wall, and I see sparks fly. In the next instant, the armored Paladin is skidding across the floor. The imposter pushes herself from the wall and looks around, feeling at the back of her skull. I see bits of exposed wiring machinery before I see the skin reaching toward itself and covering the hole. I meet her eyes and see her expression turn to anger. She points at me. That one can warn the others before this happens. Don't let him! I slip backwards in time as split, 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 and split charge at me. Robots. They're robots. Robot versions of us? But like super robots or future robots or something. They had like healing skin. That's certainly disconcerting, each of all mused. But we can take them now that we know more about them, right? Armored Paladin couldn't take out her unarmored counterpart with the super equivalent of a sucker punch. I shake my head. Plus the other you had your split powers. If their Dr. Drake can go dragon, I don't see how we could win. Paladin curses. Split's shoulders drop and she shuffles away.
I look to Ichival, and he won't make eye contact. Or whatever counts for eye contact with a Martian. I look over to Dr. Drake. He's keeping calm on the paths where tensions don't bubble too high. Is that the best option? I guess I could try to find the option with the least casualties. I sigh. I slip. I go to Paladin. Okay, you have to trust me. Her and Ichival are the most likely to survive. And I try to think out loud to Ichival the words I'm saying to Paladin. Dr. Drake would also probably survive. But I'm not going over to talk to that guy. He's scary. Paladin starts to ask me a question. No questions. If all else fails, you need this knowledge. Super robot versions of us are trying to invade through the portal. In some of the timelines, she asks questions before I can disengage. But in all of the timelines, I don't answer her. I don't do anything. I observe. Time and time again, I feel the air pressure drop. I see a claw coming right at me and jerk back to the past. I go to breathe and can't. Focus, though. I need the timeline where Ichival and Paladin are most likely to survive after I'm out of the picture. It's hard because I can't see very far with my own demise incoming. Don't think about that, though. It never pays to think about all the bad endings. I see Dr. Drake, or I guess he calls himself Mr. Dragon once he's become that monster. I would, too. You have to distance yourself from that stuff somehow. Anyway, I get to see him rip open each of my friends. Sometimes multiple times in the same timeline if he hits split. Paladin's armor is like an empty soda can to his claws. And Ichival? Well, he just becomes a mess of mush and sparks. Wait, sparks? I veer toward the branches where Ichival takes the first hits from the dragon. That's it. He's the synthetic one. He's the traitor. I flip back. Paladin starts to ask a question and I shake my head. She stops. She sees that my expression has changed, and accepts I'm different now, without any hassle. It takes a few different attempts to get one where I'm able to take down Ichival. Well, I shouldn't call it Ichival. I fumble a few times, but I find the thread where it's taken down. I see the portal closing. I see the alarm stopping. I see the questions, and the horror as people realize what's happened. I see all those, but I can't get to those. They're on another branch. The only branch I can cling to is the one where I pass out before all of those things occur. The last thing I see is Ichival's limbs twitching mechanically as I lean over it. The skin tries to heal the wound around my sword. Hope it's a timeline where someone finishes what I started. The end. So, first off, like I said... I feel almost bad for how I wrote my first half of the story because Double Take's portion of the story is so good. Well, thank you. I was stuck for a bit because you set it up where, I mean, it's technically maybe a retcon because he kind of goes, it doesn't look like there's any way, but I just imagined that was a quick glance and this is a more extensive view into the future. But you just set everything up of, I guess they accounted for everything. I was trying to build up enough tension, and I figured he hadn't gone to every reality just yet. But yeah. But now, man, that scene was just really cool. And is this is this a robot invasion? It seems to be. <laughs> I really like what you're setting up there. Yep. Robot copies of people masquerading as regular 
versions of people. <laughs> Which is a little, was it Secret Wars? Is that the one from Marvel where the scroll? Yeah, I think they've had like scroll invasions where people are being replaced with alien versions. I kind of stole from them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a similar type of premise, but it's a it's a fun one of if we go further with this, the rising tensions of, well, has anybody we been replaced all this time and we just haven't noticed and it's a fun space to play in. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then you don't know, is this character acting as themselves? Are they a robot now? And at least with Robo Ichibo, he seemed to have the same powers. And he didn't seem to be acting evilly for the most part. So I don't know if he was a unaware double agent, kind of Battlestar Galactica vein of things. Of people can be replaced and they don't even know they're robots. Yeah. Or if he was just super cool at playing it cool. <laughs> oh man, this is a robotic Earth and everyone's been replaced. This issue is kind of a big issue. So if you were planning any big storylines, I guess. <laughs> they are now no. This might have to take priority. <laughs> eh, that's all right. <laughs> the ideas I was working towards. Uh, that doesn't really matter if everyone's robots or not. They'll still have to worry about it. Unless all the kaiju are robots. Oh! <laughs> Cue mind blow gifts. That just reminds me, but I was watching a best of Power Rangers, like, slideshow kind of thing. Or highlight reel. And there's an episode where they reveal that the sixth Power Ranger for this one series, I don't remember which one it is, is like the goofy nerd character that they've all been making fun of. <laughs> and so he just like has glasses and like his jeans are all like bad jeans. And whenever he's bad, bad, bad yeah. jeans. <laughs> whenever he's Green Power Ranger though, they're like, oh, that guy's so awesome. He's doing so much amazing things. Well, then they had a highlight. That guy could never wear bad jeans. They had a highlight reel from later in that season where, you know, the Green Power Rangers wear like that vest thing. Well, he unbuckles it and he drops it and they break the concrete flooring around it. Oh. And it's like the Naruto scene where the one kid takes off his ankle weights. Yeah. So just, they went there. Like, they actually went for that joke. Like, that's... I applaud that. It's so good. <laughs> I love that stuff. Just, this isn't even, like, 10% of my power, guys. <laughs> I'm interested to know how a robot does psychic stuff. Well, neural chips. Yeah. That checks out. Quantum processing. I don't know. I imply that they're from the future, yeah. so they figured it out. <laughs> I was just thinking more of that's going to be a, a cool danger for later. My original thought was the only people without powers that they would need to emulate would be the assistant, Hater, yeah. and Paladin. Yeah. Those were my two choices originally of who would be the robot. But then I just thought, well... Maybe they could just emulate the powers, too. Because how else are they replacing everyone if they're just replacing them with a non-powered version? Yeah, no. That was a, a left turn I didn't see coming. Because I was thinking uh, Paladin, Dr. Drake, or Heyday would be more likely. So I really like that, yeah. that turn on there. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of cause some complications of... Couldn't they just fight everyone if they have these <laughs> super-powered robots? They're really expensive. You can only have so many. 
Maybe telepathy is an easy thing to replicate. What about in the future, the robots have another singularity and they become like super powerful. So maybe their bosses are the next step in evolution after a robot. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out. We'll have to explore that this season. This is something I forgot to ask about for my story. What way did you think I was going to end that? No, I don't know. (laughs) I... All I know is, like, I probably would have, I don't know. I wouldn't have had the raptors in there. That's something I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. But I don't know how I would have had Cuphand survive that. (laughs) Well, that was a concept I came up with at one point, because I was like, well, why would he break the glass since he knows he's going to just die before he hit Earth? So I figured he had to have something he knew he was going to. But then I thought about what if he thought that prophecy about dying at the witch's house was real vague on how he got there. I kind of didn't really think about how I would end mine. I just thought, well, it's Daniel's problem now. Just try to leave it on a cliffhanger. (laughs) And I appreciated that. I partially thought about for just a second having cup hands just shoot off into space and he just die. Or like they assume he dies. But then I was like, no, he definitely survives to make that country. Is there any ways you thought yours might conclude if you had done it instead of me? The big thought, because I had a couple that were just like, there's a assassin robot, and they just figure out which one of them it is and kill it. But then I had this thought, after I started reading some of your early notes, I was like, oh man, what if Dr. Drake is, or what if Mr. Dragon is the bad guy all along, and he's been setting all this up, kind of on the sly. So he's trying to just escape the moon facility. Mm. So that was the idea I had. But I started to type that. I was like, no, I don't want to. I didn't want you to think I was trying to guide you in a certain way. But it's like, oh, that'd be cool that too. That's fine. I had already decided <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Good. But yeah, no, I just thought Mr. Dragon was going to be maybe controlling it. But really, kind of like the same. I just wanted to set up as many stakes as possible. Yeah. Ready for outro? Yeah, let's, uh, let's do the outro. You can follow me on Twitter at Gware. And you can also find me uh, on the website itch.io on gware.itch.io. Yeah, where you just made a game. Yeah, I made a game called Sketch Jumper. And I've got a couple others on there that are unlisted that are kind of silly early games. Do you have anything you want to sell this week? Nope, except that. Josh Freeman owes me $5 because this episode is sponsored by him. Or the specified amount in Taco Bell is also fine. Well, the art for our show is done by Lisa Prather. You can find her stuff at lisapratherart.com or on Instagram at lisapratherart. You can email us, doubleissueshow at gmail.com. Maybe if you email us, ask him for Daniel's unlisted stuff, he'll, he'll say no. I don't want to share that. That's why it's unlisted. You can find my stuff on my Itch.io page. It just doesn't show up in the oh, the general okay. searches. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like tutorial games that I've been making. And I just felt bad having like shovelware on the site. Okay. Yeah. Well, here, so it's here like. Here I am playing Sketch Jumper. Oh, that is loud. <laughs> That's really loud. <laughs> Please include a mute was... button, Daniel. <laughs> you should read the the comments on that. 
now. That's why I said that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Someone, so I submitted the game to the Game Jam just like an hour before it closed. And I woke up and I had a comment and I was so excited. I thought it was going to be someone like, oh, nice try for your first game jam. And their comment was, A, include a mute button. B, um, collision seems off. And I just, I don't know how to react to that. Yeah. The whole person's profile is just them commenting on people's games saying stuff like, your collision's off. It's like, yeah, okay, I mean, thanks. Yeah. It's maybe not like the the best way to say some of that stuff but at least it's not your game is bad yeah no that was good i tried to learn how to do a mute button because of that comment yeah and in game maker i'm sure there's good ways to do it but the thing i found was it sets all sounds to zero but they're still playing and if you hit another sound it just plays it again so Mm. it's not really a mute button it's just a turn the music off button yeah which is okay too so everyone go play that, like I just did. And if you start moonwalking off a ladder, reverse your direction. You can email us, doubleissueshow at gmail.com. We got a Twitter, at doubleissueshow. We got a website, doubleissue.show. We got a WordPress, doubleissueshow.wordpress.com. We might merge the website and the WordPress at some point, but it hasn't yeah. happened yet. And you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash doubleissue. Next week, we have a world-building episode, and it's going to be about Quake. So join us for that. Woo! Late. Show done did. Show done did. (laughs) Future Quentin here. No lasers? I hear you ask. Well, I'll tell you what happened to the lasers in episode 23. See? I can do cliffhangers, too. We'll see if I can stick that landing, though. I guess since Daniel mentioned it, I'll give you guys an official ad of Headline Heroes. Co-hosts Drew, Mick, Nathan Haynes, and Tanner Ackerman created the show Headline Heroes. What they do is take out there, sometimes bizarre, news headlines and use them as inspiration for a superhero or supervillain. They started back in April, I assume of last year, and have so far remained a weekly podcast. They love coming together and discussing creating. Many of their creations are bizarre. For instance, Issue 19 where they ended up with a Donkey Legion army in Roman armor. They're not sure what happened. But occasionally they create something that might be considered a great concept for a hero or villain. Occasionally. Ultimately, their goal has been to create their own comic universe, like Marvel or DC, except maybe more bizarre. Hey, that's what these guys do on this show. Not like me, though. Future Quentin has seen where having dreams and ambition gets you, and has embraced nihilism. But Daniel seemed to like the podcast, so go check it out. Anyway, here are the songs. Free Harmonics by the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Soft and Furious by Green Pig. Old Battle Theme 2 by Mon Placer. It's French. How do you say this? Mon Plaisir. Oh. And The Break, also by... Mon Plaisir. Sure. All songs are shortened as needed for use in the podcast under their Creative Commons licenses. If you want to check those out, you can follow the links in the show notes. Maybe someday we'll have a song page on our website. I should make future Daniel do that. It's not like he's busy recording these outros. Quentin out. Oh, you're talking about GIFs. Yeah, yeah. G-I-F. GIF. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that we had just stumbled onto our first reason to break up the show.